We came for salvation. We came for family. We came for all that's good. That's how we'll walk away. Aloha. This is Jason Estopanol, the Layman's Lounge podcast. And it's a ministry of the Layman's Lounge.com where we seek to bring everyday theology to encourage Christians for everyday life. So, yeah, that's most of us. <clears throat> I'm Jason Estobanal. I'm a business process analyst and a YWAMer in Kona, Hawaii. And we have the privilege of having Dr. Matthew K-Mink. K-Mink. Dr. K. Matt. <laughs> well done, sir. It's okay. good to be here. Yeah, Dutch. it's a Dutch last name. So Matthew K-Mink. And uh, it's it's my burden to bear in this world. <laughs> um, he is the Associate Dean and Assistant Professor of Christian Ethics at Fuller Theological Seminary. And he's the author of Christian Hospitality and Muslim Immigration in an Age of Terror. Many articles, usually I don't reference the articles, but he have, he wrote an article called Moms, Marchers, and Managers priests, all three. Please write that down. I'm going to link it at the show notes. He reminds us that everyone wants a revolution, but nobody wants to do the dishes. It's, it's such, it's so good. I'm going to, um, I need to put that in book form and sell it and keep all the money. So that's an idea. Uh, but today we're connecting where he's co-author along with Corey B. Wilson of the forthcoming Work and Worship, Reconnecting Our Labor and Liturgy. Work and worship, reconnecting our labor and liturgy. Yeah, brother. Thanks for joining us. I, I'm pretty excited. Oh, it's good to be here. And I, I just love the conversations you guys are cultivating here at the, at the podcast. You've brought a lot of really amazing scholars and leaders in. And so it's, it's good to be here. I'm looking forward to chatting. Thanks, man. Yeah. Um, the reason we want to bring you is because work man monday through friday i feel like the things we humans care about is like um sex work food romance like those are like those are what we're all about but for some reason we don't talk about those so it's super practical for us to have this connection with you so yeah our monday through friday work is is one aspect of humanity that's foundational to humans um but as you observe it's often legitimately completely ignored on Sunday. And as a result, we don't really know how they intersect. Um, so in the book, you guys trace how our Sunday worship and our Monday work desperately need to inform and impact each other. And then you even give examples of how they can. So you, you sort of de facto give a theology of work, but that's not necessarily your, but what you give there is helpful, but you kind of seek to go beyond that and give a, th a theology of work applied, if you will. So my first question for you is, what in the world would have caused you to be like, you know what, I'm going to write a book on work and worship? Um, like what, what was happening in your own life or what you saw around you? Because um, isn't God more interested in, in the business of saving souls than the nine to five business? Yeah, so that's a great question. So it, it started for me as um, a young pastor working in New York City. 
Um, I, I served at a church called Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York. This is a church led by a guy named Tim Keller. And I served as a pastor for professionals working in Manhattan. So people in, in finance and marketing, uh, theater, fashion, all kinds of different industries. And they were wrestling with how do I connect this 2,000-year-old faith, this all of these theological concepts that I'm learning. Um, what on earth does this Sunday morning um, experience I have how does that connect to my Monday, my Monday reality on Wall Street or in fashion or medicine or marketing or wherever else in Manhattan I'm working? And as a young seminary student, as a, as a young pastor, um, I did not have the answer for them. I mean, I had, I had some basic theological understanding of your work matters to God and you should be loving to your coworkers, you know, so the basic things that yep. we say. Yep. Um, but as a young pastor, I, I quickly realized I needed more to give them. And I was very much in awe of these young Christian workers in all these different industries wrestling with these questions. And so as a theologian and a pastor, I felt an obligation to do better for them. I, I wanted to serve them and help them. And uh, later on, I also ran a, a marketplace ministry in Seattle with Christians working in, you know, high tech and, and medicine and business and entrepreneurs. And I did that for four years as well. And just continually listening to Christian professionals as they wrestle um, with this reality that, um, you know, I love Jesus very much and I love worshiping him on Sunday morning and I love my small groups and I love my morning devotionals, but I just am really struggling to connect. What does that have to do with my marketing plan or my budget report or um, the fact that, that I have to fire 10 people today? I've got to lay people off. How do I connect these things? And um, so the book came out of pastoral listening to people's pain. And then the other side of it came from this um, frustration with uh, the theology of work conversation. So there is a large faith and work movement in America that's trying to address this problem, trying to put them together. Right. And the way they try to fix it is through ideas um, like I'm going to give you Christian ideas and then it's your job to apply them in the world, in the workplace. So we often use the worldview, you know, apply your worldview to your work, your Christian worldview, which is good. Um, but the Christian life is more than just a set of ideas or theological doctrines. It's, it's something that we live and um, an important missing piece in that conversation is worship is the process of bringing our work to God in prayer, in lament, in praise, all the things that we're experiencing at work, actually bringing that with us to the sanctuary. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what I'm really trying to address here is helping pastors and worship leaders specifically help people talk to God about their work in worship. So good. And we're going to hit some of those specific things, but I wanted to ask you, 
what um, people want to like, because for most people, Christianity has to do with pretty much when they die, like 10% of their life. And the other 90, 90% of their life is like we said, like work and romance or whatever. So it's natural who someone says, I, I know that the Lord is the Lord of all of like every square inch of society, whether it's sports or leisure or work, but like, where do they, you know, where do they connect or overlap? So we're sort of trying to like, people sort of try to baptize sports in Christianity or we baptize work in Christianity. How do we know we're not imposing, uh, maybe, is there really a line there? I mean, isn't there a sacred and secular divide? Like, how can you make some, if something is by default secular, um, like work, if it is secular, how can we, um, are, are we trying to make a round, what's that saying, like a round peg in a square hole? Or is work in itself actually already not secular? Yeah, so you, so that's a wonderful question. I think a lot of people are wrestling with questions like that. I think the place to start is to say that the word secular um, and the concept of it is nowhere in scripture. Wow. And so um, that is, it is, it is a modern invention, the, the concept of it. And, um, and so uh, this idea that we have some sort of sacred worshiping life and then a secular working life is uh, a product of the modern West. It's a product of modernity. Um, so if we go back to scripture, um, the first, and, and we look specifically at the Old Testament, it's really fascinating that people in the Old Testament, whenever they're finished working on something, um, their first Think the first thing they do is they go to God and they lift it up to him. They, they have a worship service. Um, Cain and Abel, right? Their, their, their immediate thing is I need to bring this animal, this grain to God. Um, the ancient Israelites bringing their, their first fruits, um, their lamb, their goat, their, their dove, um, they, they bring their best to God. And the ancient Israelites had this understanding that God somehow cared about what they had made. And so they were very careful to bring their best work to God. And they had this understanding of um, God having nostrils. Um, so God breathing in the aroma of their work. So whenever a sacrifice was given or first fruits, they had this, this, it comes up again and again in Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, God inhaling the smoke from the sacrifice and if it was good work if it if it was well done if it was justly um done then it would it would fill god's nostrils with a pleasing aroma um but if it was stolen if it was cheap if it was produced on the backs of the poor in an unjust way then god would reject it and so um, the Israelites believed their work mattered deeply to God and that it was holy and that it was an act of worship. So, um, and, and worship helped them connect what they were doing in the field to what they were doing in the tabernacle. 
Um, they would bring their work directly into worship. And, and so the modern division between these two things is a new thing uh, that's a problem that we need to, we need to overcome and, and, and wrestle with because it's, it's fundamentally not biblical. Totally. That, that portion of your book where you trace the Old Testament, um, you know, you, you go through the Pentateuch and you go through the Psalms and the prophets was so awesome. It was just like, I was reading like Captain Obvious, but it wasn't obvious to me before. You're just talking about like, they were just throwing parties all the time, literally just parties, parties all, all the time. What, what was the role of parties back then? And is there a place for some parties today? Some graduation parties, some, um, someone, someone got a raise party. Absolutely. So, I mean, that, that's, was a really fun discovery in the old Testament is when you have a great harvest, um, essentially when you make a lot of money, um, <laughs> God commands you to have a party and, and having a party and, and welcoming in your coworkers and your clients and your customers and your servants and having them all there to celebrate is a, a way that God helps us remember his goodness and remember everyone who was involved in that work. So it, it's, it's, it's a, it, was a, it was a way to help people remember, the people of Israel, that their work didn't belong to them and that it wasn't for their own power or pleasure, but it was for the good of the whole community and that it was glorifying to God. And so, yeah. I mean, today, what do we do with a bonus check? What do we do when we get a promotion? What do we do when we graduate um, or when we get a new job? I think often Christians, when they experience a professional victory, often they will just keep that to themselves. Uh, they'll be kind of like, oh, I, I'm just going to keep that private because I don't want to brag or just because I want to pocket this money and save it. I want to be like a responsible Christian and save for retirement or something like that. But I think that the Old Testament here tells us that when we receive a bonus or a promotion or a new job, we need to learn to stop and celebrate um, with, in community. We have to mark that occasion. We have to set up some form of marker for ourselves so that we remember that it's not about us. Um, and that it's about God and the community and that fundamentally that God wants work to be joyful. And so celebration needs to be part of our working life. You know, we need to mark things. We need to stop working and celebrate. No, so good. Uh, I actually envision myself just applying that to my own life. Um, I'm like, what if we just started to throw, you know, just have with, with our church family and our neighbors you know, just, just sort of celebrate together, really looking for ways, because we're all looking for ways to look to God, because we know God, like nothing is given unless it's given from him. And so we, it just actually got really excited to me, like that is such a practical, tangible thing. Like in a perfect world, our pastors would lead us into that. Um, mm -hmm. Until then, maybe we could just sort of even create that culture amongst our own small groups or amongst our own churches or something like that. How have, have um, you seen people in this one specific scenario of maybe like 
um, uh, having a party or inviting people. How have you seen um, people do this? Because I, I also noticed that um, I thought it was really, really cool that you guys surveyed people from all over the world, not just North America, which, which high five to that one. Like you didn't have to do that, but that was pretty cool. So what did you see for, as far as other cultures bringing this in and then maybe even also in the North American culture? Yeah, so it's very true that our, our brothers and sisters in Christ um, in Africa and Latin America and Asia have more robust practices of celebration, Christian celebration, than we who are white and Northern European. So white Northern Europeans, uh, we have a hard time partying for extended periods. Of time. <laughs> and so, um, no, and, and so there's a lot to learn from these other cultures. And we tried to provide insights into how the global Christian church can help modern Westerners who, you know, live in these silos of work and worship. Um, but in terms of Westerners who do this well, I mean, part of it is is taking what we already do and being more thoughtful about it. So we have graduation parties and retirement parties um, already. Those things kind of happen. But I think that Christians could do those things and reimagine them in ways that are more celebratory, more worshipful. Um, and more communal. Um, and so each of those have, so uh, one is uh, making it more worshipful. So recognizing God's goodness in very intentional ways in a retirement party and praying for that person's retirement, that the retirement is not for them, but it's, it's for the glory of God and the goodness of the community. And so praying mm -hmm. that this new retired person would find new callings by which to bless others and God. Um, but also in retirement to, to pull together all the people who have been a part of this career, you know, who have blessed it and been a part of it to sort of tell the story of God's goodness through this career, you know, and same for a graduation party. Um, for me personally, when my first book came out, um, that was a tremendous moment of celebration. And I was doing all this research at the time, and I felt very convicted that I needed to have a lavish dinner party with, with friends uh, and colleagues who had been a blessing to me. And I just Whoa. said, I just want you to come. And I spent more than I was comfortable spending Whoa. on that with 20 of my dearest friends and colleagues. And, and I just wanted to share with them, you know, what they meant to me. Wow. And um, sort of, and, and just mark the occasion that here this book is out and it's been so long coming and I need to pause and, you know, celebrate the goodness of God. And that helps orient me towards my next book, right? Yeah. It reminds me that it's a communal activity and it changes me that just the party does. Yeah. I mean, when you put it like that, it really, like I get almost, you know, I could almost see like God, the father, I'm not just saying it, like see him delighting in that. Like 
who doesn't want to see their kids just having a good time, um, you know, walking in the truth, fellowshipping together, celebrating the good things. There was a really interesting uh, part in the book where you had mentioned, I, you guys maybe were in Illinois or something like this. And you went, you just sort of walked down to the first church. Um, I'm not sure if it was even a real story. You guys made it up, but can you, can you share that? That was genius. (laughs) So, so that was a story um, that we made up to illustrate a point. Um, that we were making about communion, about the Lord's Supper. Um, And the story is essentially this. You walk into a church on the Sunday morning of Labor Day, and you're there, and uh, you're kind of hanging out in the back during the worship service. And all of a sudden, the pastor invites everyone to start coming forward. And everyone comes forward carrying an item from their work or their school. So you, someone's carrying a, a laptop, someone's carrying a hammer, another person's carrying keys or a stack of papers, books and pencils, um, you know, a broom, but something that represents um, something that you work on on a daily basis. And they all bring it forward and pile it around the Lord's t- table. Um, All of these items from the people's work, um, from the work of the people, and, and, and this is all brought forward. So imagine you're in the back of this church and you have no idea what's going on. It's a very strange thing to see Christians do this. Um, and even some people bring forward some vintners, bring forward some bottles of wine, And some bakers bring forward muffins and croissants and things like that. And so all of this is there. And and then the pastor gets up and calls the elders forward. And they lift up a couple of bottles of wine that have been made. And they lift up um, a number of croissants that have been baked by the people. And they bless them. And uh, the pastor gives the words of institution. And the people come forward and take part in um, the body of Christ and the blood of Christ in communion. And so, um, and as they, they come forward, they are told, this is, this is, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. And then as they are sent out, um, they are told to turn around and look out to the city and they are sent to extend the work of God into the city, extend the grace of God, the generosity Mm -hmm. of God, uh, extend the work of God into their working lives. So um, this is now the beginning of a whole week of worship. So go into the city to extend this table uh, and the grace of this table into the schools and businesses and hospitals Mm -hmm. of the city. Um, so the reason we told that story was to talk about, um, the early church and how the early church understood the connection between the Lord's supper and their lives. Yeah. I did want you to hit, if you could actually hit on that, like you were talking about in the book, some mosaics that you saw and just common practice 
which was also mind blowing. Like I thought I was a know-it-all until I read your book. I'm like, oh man, I don't know anything. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, what's fascinating is that, um, you know, we, when we give money in the church, we either put coins and cash in a plate or we do it online digitally. Yeah. Um, but for the first 300 years of Christianity, that is not how giving happened. Most giving was the people bringing the things that they made, um, clothing, food, um, uh, all kinds of household wares, things that would be distributed to the poor would be, um, you know, for the, the pastor or the prophet's um, livelihood or just the sharing in community. And some of it would go to the worship meal that the early Christians would have together. And so it was, it was very apparent to early Christians that the work of their hands participated in Christian worship. Mm. It was directly connected. And so that had a massive impact. So when, when you took communion in the early church, either you or someone in your community baked that bread in their kitchen. And, um, so these things are, are, are deeply connected. And as you said, you were talking about mosaics. So one of the oldest Christian churches that has been found um, is near Venice. And on the, the walls and the floor of this oldest Christian church are all of these beautiful mosaics of Christian farmers and fishermen and merchants um, working in the sea and in the fields and in the city and this is how they chose to decorate their worship space so all around you while you worshiped are these images of christian workers um, working in god's world uh, and so they didn't have this understanding that work is this worldly thing this sort of secular thing that has nothing mm. to do with worship um, but that the sanctuary is the place where God's workers, God's priests come to offer themselves and their work to God in worship. So it was, it was deeply connected for the early church. Totally. Yeah. Right, when you talk about the, those images um, towards the latter part of the book, you brought something up so good. You, you guys weren't being critical, but you just brought a very tangible example or uh, just sort of reference point. You said like, you know, oftentimes on the slides for like the lyrics to the song, there's like a, a beautiful meadow or a valley or whatever. And you guys, I mean, you blew my mind. You really blew my mind with this book. Um, but you were just sort of saying like, how, you know, and even gave examples. How cool would it be if there was like pictures of your neighborhood, maybe like the rough part of neighborhood or maybe like the main street or, you know, just your neighbors, that, just that alone, it, it does, it kind of, it, it reorientates me, not just like, oh, the, the, the stuff of Christianity is done here on, on the Lord's Day on Sunday morning. It, it literally, I come in there and I'm just sort of pointed back out. Like when you also said that example of before leaving, you know, uh, church on the Sunday morning and sort of looking out or whatever. So, can you speak more of like your, th that idea of having 
photos or you know reference points that point us outward yeah absolutely so one one project that um we had a church try which was pretty transformative was having them having each individual in the church take a picture of themselves um representing where you are on monday at 10 a.m so it's we call it a ttt this time tomorrow where will you be so imagine um during a worship service you have a a three-minute slideshow uh that just quickly scrolls through um where everyone's going to be tomorrow and you tell the congregation i just want you to sit in silence and look at where the people of god are going to be tomorrow and I just want you to pray for them. You know, and there you see a hygienist next to a dental, you know, a, a dental chair. There you see a surgeon in a surgeon's room. There you see a real estate agent. There you see a janitor. And all you do for three minutes is you just look at them and you pray for them and you thank God for their service to their city. And, um, and you recall and you remember that the church is not a building, but the church is this movement of people in the world mm. serving and glorifying God and mm. caring for you in all kinds of unique ways. Um, and then, like what you said, now take, think about that three-minute ritual and then juxtapose that to... Um, common church PowerPoint proposals, which common church PowerPoints are, you know, stars and sunsets and meadows and mountains. They're very nature oriented, which, um, which really can um, very unintentionally, like I love those pictures too. They're beautiful. No one's trying to do anything bad there. And and I know you have that full back tattoo of a of a uh, sunset, right? Do you still have that tattoo? <laughs> <laughs> so, but what it does is it can subtly communicate that <clears throat> God is out in nature, Whoa. But, not, but God is not in the mundane office or the little activities and tasks and oh. errands that I am engaged in on a daily basis. God is not in the diaper changing, right? Right. Um, and so subtly over time, Christians start to think that I can find God in the sanctuary and I can find God in nature. And yep. then I'm just in the kind of this drudgery of right. um, working and parenting and errands and bill paying and God's not there at all. Right. Yeah. You talk about like, I think in the beginning of the book, you talk about there's a few different approaches people take when, when they're there Sunday morning, they're thinking like, oh man, I'm trying to remember what you said, but like scenarios of where someone's like, okay, I'm just going to block out, like quote, quote, block out the worries of the world. Yeah. And you did like a big old spin. You just did a <laughs> blaster. You said, wait, what? what are we Why would you block out yeah. your normal life? That's the worst idea in the world. Can you yeah. speak to that? Yeah, so I can remember sitting in a worship service and there was this, you know, passionate young worship leader. He was excited to, to lead worship that day. And he said, he said, guys, I know, you, I know you've all had crazy weeks. 
I know you've got a lot going on, a lot you're thinking about. Um, but for the next hour, we're just going to take a break from that, and we're going to focus on God. Now, he had the best of intentions when he said that. And of course, we want to focus on God and worship. Of course. However, the, the devastating danger when you say that is that... Um, your life in the world is purely a, a potential distraction from the goodness Ooh. of God. <laughs> Rather than, God, what he should have said was this, guys, I know you have had a crazy week. Some of you have had wonderful weeks. Some of you have had hard weeks. Some of you come with a lot of questions. Um, Maybe you haven't heard God speak this week and you're feeling lonely. Maybe you've got something you need to thank God for. You've got a lot going on. What he should have said is, I encourage you to bring all of that to God today. Mm. Carry that to him. Be honest with him. Lift your hands in praise or lament, you know, hope or sadness. Bring that to God today. Wow. Don't shut that out. Don't leave that at the door. Be honest with God. Um, and I think that was one of the surprising things that we found in our research was that if you want to connect your faith to your working life, if you really want those things to be connected, the first thing that you need to do is start bringing your work to God. Start talking to God about it. Mm. That's the first step. And so when we create a sanctuary experience that is about ignoring the world or pretending that our work doesn't exist, that is just devastating to, mm -hmm. to actually connecting those things. Yeah, you, you say um, to bring, in, bring into the sanctuary rather than leave it at the door. You say bring in your lament, bring in your celebration, whatnot. Um, but the problem is... Not for you, because you're Dutch. But for a lot of people, um, you know, their church tradition doesn't have liturgy, you know. And, and maybe in a minute, you can even tell us what liturgy is. What the church service looks like is people coming in, you got some announcements, and you got a few songs, and then you have, um, you know, the pastor uh, preaching, and then, you know, and then the offering. That That's sort of... so. So for those of us who aren't involved with, with churches that sort of had a lit, have a liturgy where it even gives us room to bring those things, where do we place those? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a phenomenal question. Um, I think that um, while, while evangelicals or low church um, Christians have struggled with this, they, they are getting creative. And I think there really is a longing for spaces like this. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't have to be old style, traditional liturgy that does this. Um, uh, one thing that evangelicals do really well is giving testimonies um, and finding ways to have people share the hard things that are going on. So um, that's a good point. So encouraging, if you know someone who's wrestling you know, creating spaces for people to be honest about that. Um, a lot of us struggle with being vulnerable. Like, 
hey, my job is terrible, or I just got laid off, or I can't find a job. Mm. Um, And if you can find someone who's willing to be vulnerable and tell that story, that creates space for other people to say, oh, I can be honest. Yeah. My job is really hard. I love that you said in the book, you said, um, it doesn't have to have the happy ending. Yeah. That That is actually monumental. The story usually needs to end with, and they got born again and the money came, you know, yeah. but you're like, that's not our gritty, regular daily lives. That's, um, and we just interviewed Richard Mao. I know he's like friend of yours. And he, he like referenced like eight times. He said, the hopes and fears of all, of all the years, like that's his thing. And I was hearing that when I was reading you, there's, there's yeah. just this, like almost this generic yet specific, just bringing to God, just sort of the everything, the hopes and the fears, just this, like, um, it doesn't have to have a happy ending. I mean, I think of the Psalms when they, they don't end with a happy ending. It's like, God, your arrows are at me. Where are you at? I, yeah. I'm dead. And then just ends. You're yeah. like, wait, I can't imagine singing that song. Yeah, yeah, that's what we're commanded to sing. And we all know we're not singing that. Yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, if you think about it, the people of Israel, the nation itself, begins with people crying out about work. It be, the, wow. the nation of Israel is born in Egyptian slavery. Wow. And them having this memory that Abraham's God was there, and they're just crying out to Abraham's God. And Abraham's God responds to them. And so that is the very beginning of Israel is talking to God honestly about your work. Mm. And the assurance that you get is that God heard their cries Mm. in the workplace, right? And God responded. Um, And of course, as we talk about in the book, the Psalms are filled with this as well. Um, so another way that evangelicals can, can create space for this is just in prayer. So um, I, I think just creating space to say, we're going to have a time of silence to um, offer up some of the things that are breaking our heart in our lives today mm-hmm. that we need God to heal. Um, and I think there's some new contemporary worship songs that are, are more open to break and pain and being more honest um, because frankly happy happy joy joy worship music is just unsustainable no, no human being can honestly be that happy all the time it's 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 not telling the truth about the pain and heartbreak of actual human life it's You're just so dishonest right. yeah what um man you're Thank you, brother. This is a lot of good stuff. What is an Ebenezer? And should we raise one up? Yeah, so it's a, it's a way of um, marking a great victory in the Old Testament. So I encourage, I encourage your listeners to go look it up uh, and study it for themselves because it's a fun thing. But essentially, when you, when you win a victory, you need to stop and mark it. You need to set up a marker. Um, and it's the the physicality of it is of is important. So um, you know, once again, if you have a great professional victory or advance um, or graduation, having a, a piece of artwork that you hang in your home that wow. re- that reminds you of that moment of victory. 
and that and the goodness of God um, in that. You so, need something physical in your home, something physical that reminds you of God's goodness in your working life. Okay. Maybe, or maybe at your desk, right? Something yeah. at your desk that reminds you of a mentor um, that you didn't deserve, but they, they just came along and they, they lifted you up. And that, you know, you just, we just need these physical things. Uh, the faith can't simply be in our hearts. We need markers. Mm. We need, we need parties. Uh, we need physical things that just remind us, not, oh, idols, yeah. not idols that you worship, but just physical markers that remind you. Man. So, so good. I, I legitimately now and through the book, like, you know, I'm a pretty, my joy literally increased in, in regards to just my general Christianity. There was just something I just, I don't know. I feel a little loose, do some jumping. I'm feeling just good. I'm like, you know, but so by now in the, in the, you know, in this interview, the listeners finally realized, Hey, this guy wants us to like be very one intentional. That that's a huge thing that, that, you know, we're hearing. And the next thing is, and, and we're scared about it, but you're talking about a lot of rituals and sim symbols and reference points. What's yeah. up with that, man? That's not a, that doesn't seem very, uh, I don't know, Christian. Shouldn't we just, just stick to the way how we've been doing it? <laughs> rituals that sounds catholic doesn't it yeah rituals and symbols and art that all sounds catholic <laughs> papist <laughs> right right so no but the what you're saying these these rituals or you know these reference points yeah we could apply these in our own lives and i could see them um again not a whole lot of our our home congregations are probably going to be doing this but i hear what you're saying as far as uh, testimony is one um moving well, just I, mean, to I think i think i would just say that whether you realize it or not you, you have rituals in your life mm. you do have rituals in your life you get up every morning and you do certain things mm. um and on sunday morning you may not think of your sunday morning as having a liturgy but you do certain things. Mm. You, you, I mean, you even said you get up, there's announcements, you play yeah. three songs, you read scripture, there's the sermon, there's an offering. Uh, yep. Those are liturgies. Wow. Whether you, you, you may not call them liturgies, you might not call them rituals, but wow. they are. And, um, and all Christians have, have items in their life that help remind them. Some of them put Bibles, Bible verses on their mirrors, yeah or in their cars. Some of them, you know, have a, a, a Bible on their desk that just reminds them, I need, okay. to, I need to study my scripture. Yep. So we set these things up for ourselves to remind us. We, we talked with many Christian workers who have a, you know, like when they drive to work, they always pray as they come into the parking lot. Mm. Like that's their, that's their little ritual. And mm. that helps them remember. Mm. Um, and so, you know, we need these things. We're as human beings, they're just they're just necessary. <laughs> they are what they are is I mean, they're the they're just sort of putting meat on these ideas that like the theology of work, okay, we're starting to get it, but now this this is how we sort of apply, if you will. And it you know, it's actually exciting. I'm excited and I hope the listeners who are excited to 
sort of implement some of these things. I, I did have a question though. So we're, we're looking out forward to, okay, so we're gathered Sunday morning. We're bringing our things to God. We are, we're excited. We're, we're thinking not just Sunday, we're thinking Monday through fr Friday, nine to five. But it, it's obvious we're thinking gratitude, okay? Gratitude, got it. We for sure got that one. Um, but you know our default MO in North America in 2020 is I got to share the gospel, which we should. We got to share the gospel. That really, when all, at the end of the day, is that the main thing that God is concerned with for your vocation? To one, quote, quote, share the gospel, and two, earn your money so you could support the real, you know, the real missionaries and the real Christians on the front line. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> um, I think, I think for that, what we need is a much, I think it's too small an understanding of what the gospel is and it's too small an understanding of what God is doing in the world that, um, what a doctor is doing day after day after day um, in her doctor's office. She is worshiping God. She is a part of the, the healing of, of Christ in the world. She's serving God there. Um, it's not just the money that she makes um, that God cares about, but it's actually the day-to-day -day work in the hospital that is worship to God. It fills God with delight. It, it has an aroma that goes up into God's nostrils and God takes pleasure in good medicine. Yeah. And so that is, that is her ministry. She doesn't need to go on a medical mission trip to serve God. She can do it right there in her hospital. That's worship. And she is a part of the priesthood of all believers as a, as a Calvinist, right? That's really important to me. She's a part of the priesthood of all believers. And that is where she's called to serve and intercede. And so medicine for her is worship. It is mission. Um, and it is participating in the gospel of Jesus mm -hmm. Christ. Now, if she does her work with that kind of a posture, when the moment comes for her to share the gospel with her nurses and her secretaries and her administrators, um, they will be very ready to hear her and actually hungry to hear her share that story because they know she just, she works in a worshipful way that is different. It's not about grasping. It's not about her. Um, and so um, if we have a worshipful posture at work, um, evangelism is going to be very natural. It's so going it's, it's to it's gonna come out of our life. Um, and so those conversations are going to be connected. They're going to make sense to people. Yeah. Yeah. It's your, your own context. You're, you're a native missionary at that hospital. You already know the language. You already know the culture. Um, it's not forced however. Let me hit you with a, like a case study example. So my sister, she creates home decor, like at her, at her house. She's just her. And then her, you know, her husband helps when he's off work and she just, 
print signs, you know, like a C.S. Lewis quote or like that says like, you know, if your poop stinks, make sure you spray the, the smell good stuff. Ha ha ha. Or, or you know, like carrots yeah. for Easter. So she's not seeing anybody to evangelize. Yeah. She, um, not Christian goods. Um, is there an intrinsic value or sacred activity that's taking place as she's as she's just all alone doing that sort of thing or is it only in her thanking god for the money and her customers or yeah so the puritans had this saying that god loves adverbs and god cares not how good but how well and what they meant by that is essentially god loves the way in which you work Mm. so if she um creates these uh, this home decor, um, if she create, creates it lovingly and carefully and beautifully, if she does her business um, truthfully and generously, these sort of adverbs, wow. then, um, sh- and, and she spends the entire day doing this, um, but she doesn't convert a single soul. Um, God takes delight and is praised mm. because God has given her these gifts and given her these passions and God has placed her in this time and place with this opportunity. And she's being faithful with mm. those gifts. Mm. Mm. And so that is her worship. That is her mission. That is her ministry. And, um, any theology that would dismiss her or degrade her work mm. um, is just fundamentally out of step with are, this with this biblical understanding of vocation. Are are some professions more godly? I, I know that we're told to honor such men as these, you know, for these men and women who are who are pastors or whatever. We're supposed to honor them. Um, so there's an honor associated. Is there you know, is, yeah, is there a, is there a more, well, clearly that's an honorable profession if you're like a clergy person or whatever, but what about for someone like her? Is there, is it also really good and God honoring? But I mean, growing up when I, when I became like a quote, quote, serious Christian, first thing I thought is I need to be a missionary youth pastor. That's what everyone thinks. No one's think, oh, I'm a, I'm a like, I'm now like a quote, quote, serious Christian. I'm going to start like, well, I want to get really good at welding for the glory of God. No, like no one when they're 19 years old would say that. Right. So. Right. Well, there's a lot of work to be done, sir. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would say um, a couple of things. Um, first of all, every single career is in danger of being twisted by the devil. And so pastors and missionaries um, can be just as fallen and sinful as janitors and plumbers um, can. And they can be just as dishonorable as well. Mm. Um, And so I think, so that's one thing to say. The second is that um, in Genesis 1 and 2, Adam and Eve are called, they're commanded by God to cultivate the garden, to fill, um, to explore and name. That's the, that's the primary calling of a human person 
Wow, that's um, huge. And so, so the the love command that we get from Jesus is is to be placed on top of that existing command. Wow. And the command to go and tell the gospel is to be placed on top mm. of that existing command. It doesn't extinguish that command. So in Genesis 1 and 2, we are called to go into farming and science and construction and art and um, all of these um, aspects of cultivating and developing creation. Uh, and Jesus tells us to love one another as we do that mm. and share the gospel as we do that. Wow. Um, and so we need to not extinguish those things, but to allow those things to be a part of the fundamental aspect of who we are. So good, brother. So um, as we close out, just if, and I'm sure like you, when this book comes out and, you know, it's coming out sh shortly here, like you are, you're praying for those who are going to read it. Can you just give us a glimpse? Like, what are you praying? You're like, Lord, you know, we enjoyed writing this book. I, I just pray that those who pick it up would, would <clears throat> see, would experience, would begin to, would, what's like, man, like really like, like would be an answer to prayer of the book. Yeah. So there's, there's two groups of people that we cared about in writing this book. The first is um, church leaders, like pastors and worship leaders. And then the other is workers, people who work in the world. And my prayer for um, pastors and worship leaders is that this book would really help them think about Sunday morning. Uh, and imagine ways in which Sunday morning can truly connect with the lived experiences of their people at work. Mm. And so that's, that's my prayer on that side. And then for people who are at work in the world, um, my prayer is that this book would give them some really tangible tools, but also some biblical and theological understanding mm -hmm. of how much their work is of how deeply their work is connected to their worship and to live a more um, seamless life. As my friend uh, Stephen Garber would say to live a life of both worship and work in which those things enrich one another. So th th that's my prayer is really that it would serve both workers and uh, church leaders. Thank you, brother. Yeah. Usually when usually when we interview folks, we interview them in, in association with the book they wrote, but we don't really like hype the book. You know, we reference it, mm -hmm. but the book, um, man, like book of the year, brother. So we want to encourage you guys, it's, uh, just by way of reminder, we'll get a link up. It's called Work and Worship, Reconnecting Our Labor and Liturgy. Um, please get it. And then also, are you... Um, are you like online? You got a website, you got some Facebook, you got a TikTok. Can we watch you dance? You got anything out there that we could check out? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I have a landing page at matthewkamink.com. So if you can spell it, you can find it. <laughs> and then I'm, I'm also on Twitter. So um, you can connect with me on Twitter. That's, All right, so that's a fun place to, to go. We'll link it up there, brother. Hey, man, really appreciate it. And uh, we are genuinely going to pray that the book does those things that, uh, that you're hoping and we know the Lord does too.
I'm deeply grateful. And thank you to everyone who's listening and um, God's rich blessings on the uh, conversations you're cultivating here. Um, I, I can't think of anything more important um, than, than helping the laity with you know, these great theological resources. So good work, man. Good, good work. All right, man. Thank you very much. We came for salvation. We came for family. We came for all that's good. That's how we'll walk away. We came to break the bad. We came to cheer the sad.